Well, it's great to be with you. I'm a stranger, come from the wilds of Kovarak. Lovely sunset there this morning. But uh, I don't feel a stranger in the Free Methodists. The Light of Life, I know, is the, your major title here. <clears throat> but really, you're Free Methodists, aren't you? And uh, my mind goes back to some, well, it's a good deal over 30 years now. And uh, preaching up in Lancashire with the Free Methodists. I worked in a Bible college for many years, and we had students from the Free Methodist Church over 30 years ago. I look a very young man, don't I? Come on. Yeah, thank you. Yes. I am. And uh, it's, so I used to go, it's one of my favorite preaching haunts up there with the Free Methodists because there was such a lovely spirit of Jesus there and there was such a lovely freedom there and there was, there was a lovely generosity there most of the guys in the early stages of the Free Methodists in England were farming stock. And, uh, my, could they feed you? Really fed you. So it was always a tremendous pleasure. And it, it's even, uh, uh, you know, I, I remember the first church I ever preached in was at Garstang, up in Lancashire. And I don't suppose anybody, Alan Ellishaw, do you know his name? He's your superintendent. He was one of my students. And it's through him that I went up there and started to preach in uh, Garstang. But I, I reckon nobody in Garstang at that time would have the faintest idea that there'd be a free Methodist in St. Austell's. You, you know, you, you never know really what God is going to do, do you? All you know is going to do big things big time somewhere, if you keep believing. So, uh, it's a real privilege to, and look at this building, yeah. I don't know whether you paid for it yet, but never mind about that. <laughs> <laughs> but th th this is classic Free Methodist stuff. And I went up to Garstan, they had a lovely building up there, lovely brick building, nice and airy and, and all the rest of it. I come down here and I meet Mike Breton, of course, was another one of my students, much later on. And he's got a nice building down there. And I thought, yeah, these free Methodists know what to do, don't they? They, they all have a cup of coffee here at the far end there. and it's, it's, So it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure because so many of you are here. In the modern world, there's, there's a, a good number here. It's God has wrought. God has done something. God has worked. I think that guy was even born when I was up in Lancashire. I don't know. <laughs> Probably just. You don't mind an old man's reminiscences, do you? <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, it's one of the, one of the, um, advantages of getting old. Your memory is longer. And there are more things that God has done. So you can look back over the years and say, God did that, God did this, God did the other. 
He never gives up. He keeps on doing things. And just to say that, there was a lovely spark in those early free Methodists. It was the spark of church planting. That's what I loved about it. You know, there was a freshness, there was a vision about planting churches and doing things and moving the gospel on. And all these guys, Alan and, and uh, Mike and so many of them, that was a part of their DNA. It's part of your DNA. It's to move on and to plant and to, to increase and so on and so forth. So I'm very grateful for Pete for inviting me over this morning on such a lovely morning. So bless you all. That's my sermon. No, no, it's not really. <laughs> it's just a little thought. But, uh, so, you know, you know me, you know where I come from. I was, I was in Birmingham. I had a Bible college in Birmingham, right? And these guys used to come down from Lancashire, study in Birmingham. That's how I got now. I used to love driving up there. I wouldn't drive down here from Birmingham, I'll tell you. Not for a second. I used to leave her, I don't know, about half for six in the morning to get to Garstein to preach. I don't think I could do that these days. There you go. That's enough reminiscing. I just wanted to to give you a few thoughts (coughs) on something that's pretty basic. Sorry, I'll get a bit of guitar every so often. (coughs) And a few thoughts on a, a fundamental theme, which is our basic calling as Christians. Our basic calling. You could use the word vocation if you wanted. The word vocation is a Latin word which means exactly the same, calling. Vocation, calling. Something that should motivate us all the time. Something that should be right behind us all the time. The basic calling that you all have. You've all got different jobs And when you come to church, you'll have a different calling, you'll have a different thing to do. Some will be techie boys, some will be playing the instruments, some will be leading. It's all different callings, different vocations, if you like. But there's one that we all have. And it's that one that I really want to just underline this morning. And if you have put the first slide up, I'll read you some scriptures about it. And you see that all right? Yeah. So let me just read it to you. To all brackets in Rome, but I want to put St. Austell there. To all in St. Austell, who are loved of God and called to be his holy people. Called to be holy. That's your basic calling. Before anything else that you're called to in the church of God, you are called to be holy. Because if you do anything else in the church of God without being holy, you'll fail. I'm a preacher. But if I don't seek holiness in my life, I have got nothing to say. Because that's the thing that God expects of every single one of us. Whoever we are, however old, however young, 
You have got to be holy. And it goes on, you see. It says there, doesn't it, second one, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. This is Paul. Urge you, come on, I'm urging you, I'm wanting you to live your life in a way that is worthy of your calling. Your calling is to be holy. For John Wesley, and he's big in this part of the world, isn't he? Holiness was the number one. John Wesley preached, and as you know, he preached in the open air, this, that, and the other, Hundreds got converted. He was a marvellous evangelist. But that wasn't his first calling. His first calling was to be holy. And when he got these miners converted, his major thing was to get them to live a godly, holy, upright life. That's what it was all about. I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have received it. If you're a Christian, if you're loved of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you know what the new birth is, you've received this calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's a kind of little sample of what it is. Be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. We'll come to that in a moment or two. And then the third scripture there, it says, Be blameless and pure. How how high are your targets? How high is your target for the holiness of your life? For the righteousness, the godliness of your life? Is it to be blameless? Or is it to, well, I'll get to 50-60% and I'll settle for that. No Christian worthy of his salt, her salt, can can settle for anything less than the, the, the highest level of godly living. Be blameless. I'll talk a little bit more about the details of that in a moment. But look what it says there, and uh, then goes on to say, Be blameless and pure, children of God, in a crooked and depraved generation. Now what sort of a generation are you living among? What's your, what, what is your comment on the present generation in which we're living? I, do, I don't think it's being absurd to say it's getting more crooked is it not and it's getting more depraved it is a depraved generation sexually it's unbelievably depraved it's gone right out of the bottom young people growing up uh, more or less take it for granted but for some of us a bit older it really is way out That's the trouble, you see, when you come into life and standards are set, you tend to take those standards that are set. When I was born and came into life, the standards that were set were infinitely higher than the standards that are being set in this modern generation. That's an old man talking. 
but unfortunately it's true. And then it says, Be blameless and pure, children of God, in a crooked and depraved generation, listen to this, in which you shine like stars in the universe. They're beautifully poetic. Holy people shine like stars in a world that is black with crookedness and depravity. And that's your calling. To shine like a star. A human star. The light that's coming out of you is not physical light. The light that's coming out of you in that darkness is the light of a holy life. A light of righteousness. A life of godliness. I don't care what you do. I don't care what job you've got. I don't care how clever you are or how not clever you are. I don't know what your aims are in life if you're young and you're on the verge of going, finding your career and all the rest of it. I don't care anything about that. The one calling that is more important than anything else is that you live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And you set yourselves the highest measure. Have another slide. <clears throat> I'm going to remind you of this. <clears throat> that you were actually created by God in the first instance, or mankind was created by God in the first instance, to be holy. That's why he created you. I said to you, <clears throat> got up this morning, and my wife and I, I hope this doesn't make you found jealous, but we look out of our bedroom window and there's the sea. And there's the horizon, right? And we got up this morning and the sun was just coming up. I thought twice about coming, really. I thought it was so... Uh, I, I just think, look, you know... I, for, for, for most of my life, I've lived in the middle of Birmingham. So, I, I sometimes pinch myself, but it's just the faithfulness of God that has stuck me there in Coverack, isn't it? Well, you don't think so, but I do. It is. Anyway, it was so beautiful. Unbelievably beautiful. The colours, the sea, whatever. You see what that first text says up there? The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Everything is made, talks, says something. It speaks. It talks about God. It speaks about God. It glorifies God. And that sunset this morning over there in Coverack tells me this, God is unbelievably beautiful. He loves beauty. One of the saddest things about a person who has not come through to Jesus and walking with God is that somehow they're almost blinded to the fact that the world is so beautiful. I mean, there are nasty things, I know, but really it is a very beautiful place. If only we'd allow it to be on being beautiful. I know that God is beautiful. You talk about stars... See, I walk up the lane to the house where we're living on a dark night. What do I see? The Milky Way. 
There's no light pollution, you cover it. I lived in Birmingham, and the only thing you see is a light pollution, nothing else. Never see a star in Birmingham. I have to come down to cover it. Then you look up, and there is the Milky Way. And we know from science and all that sort of thing that these, these things are an infinity of distance, and much more, they're getting further and further away from us. So what's God saying through the start? I'm great. You can't comprehend me. I'm beyond your imagination. I'm beautiful like the stars, but I'm big. I'm colossus. Why don't you mortals realize how much I can do for you tiny little things when I make and move the stars? Don't you think I can sort your life out? Because he made the atoms as well, didn't he? It's not just big things. He's the God of the little things. Everything is made up of unbelievably small atoms. Do you know what that says? I'm clever. God is clever. Did you know that God is clever? If he's clever enough to make the world the he's made it, he's clever enough to sort your life out. Isn't he? Come on, say yes. There's a big problem in front of you. But the heavens declare the glory of God and the, the, the heavens tell you that God is bigger than any of your problems. He may, you know, make life a little bit difficult for you just to rub off some of the rough edges of your life. But even the things that are not very nice that happen to us have their purpose. So the heavens declare the glory of God. You go on about that. But what about man? That's the, that's the thing. Well, it says there, doesn't it? It said on there, God created mankind in his own image. And what's that telling us? What God is saying through that? We're part of the creation, but we're very different from the rest of the creation. The rest of the creation is, doesn't live, apart from the animals. It doesn't live, it's just stuff. But you're alive. What did he make you for? If he made the stars to show his greatness and his beauty and all the rest of it, what did he make you for? Do you think he didn't have an idea when he made you? Why did he make you in his image? What is the image of God? Well, I'll tell you what the image of God is that he's put upon us. It's the image we are capable of loving. You have something in your life. You are capable of loving. You are capable of relating to one another. You are capable of being holy like God is holy. You are capable of being humble. You are capable of being kind. You are capable of showing the beauty of God's character. And that's why you and I were made. Not necessarily to show his power and his glory and all the rest of it. Not all of us are very beautiful. Especially as you get a bit older. But whether we're old or young or what, we can all demonstrate his holiness. That's why it's your calling. Because you were created to be holy. 
You're created to live like that. That's what he expects of you. There's something else. Let's have the next slide. <coughs> we're called to holiness through our creation, but we're called to holiness through our redemption. What Jesus did for us constitutes a call. That's why you're here this morning. If you come here this morning, you're going to follow Jesus. Then the, the calling is redoubled. Let me just read these two texts for you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He sang about that earlier. So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Do you sing it or do you do it? Is it a song or is it a part of your life? That's the challenge. He himself bore our sins. He took our sins away on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's really a lovely, <coughs> lovely story about a woman whose vocation, she felt, was towards the elderly. It was something she lived for. So she did a job looking after the elderly. It was a kind of consuming vocation. I must look after the elderly. I must care for them. I must make them feel comfortable. I must do things for the elderly. Vocation. Teachers used to have a vocation. I must do everything I can to build these children up in a, a, a wonderful way, in a godly way, and all the rest of it. Vocation, a calling, sense of movement. And our vocation is to live for righteousness. Second scripture says, In the same way as Christ, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God, for sin shall no longer be your master. Now this is very important. Because we all know that we have a bent and a tendency to do what is wrong. So if we are talking to you about living a godly, holy life, you say, oh, I've got problems here, I've got problems there. You know, it's a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it is. Because you're not totally free yet. Jesus is in you. And Jesus has died for you. Now, what you need to understand is this. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he broke the power of sin in your life. He broke the power of sin in your life. This is what it says. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God, for sin shall no longer be your master. When you, before you found Jesus, before you gave your life to Jesus, before you accepted what he's done on the cross for you, sin had the upper hand in your life. But now you've come to Jesus, something's happened, the power of sin has been broken. You don't have to say, I can't help it, I've got to do it, I can't help it being bad, I can't help doing this. 
that power of evil has been broken. And in your praying, if you're struggling with some particular sin, you need to keep saying, that power has been broken by the blood of Jesus. I am free, I can be free, I'm looking to you, Lord, to make me totally free. And you can be free. I don't care what your best, worst habit is, what your most difficult thing is, in Jesus and in the cross of Jesus, you have the victory over it. We have so many testimonies of people, even on drugs, who've been freed. Almost overnight, the power of the drug has gone, bang. Because the power of Jesus has been manifest in the redemption of that life. Something else about this, if you're struggling. Let's have the next slide. I'll read it to you and then I'll comment on it. I pray that out of his glorious prayer of Paul, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being to grasp how long and wide and deep, high and deep is the love of Christ so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, Paul is saying, what I want from you more than anything is that you'll be strong through the Holy Spirit in power, in your innermost being. Now, it's your innermost being that struggles against sin. And he's saying, I'm praying that you will know such a baptism of the love of God that the fullness of that love will overcome your sin. So not only is the power of sin being broken in your life, it's dead on the cross, you have the Holy Spirit who is a power in your life to enable you to overcome your sin. And it does that by giving you a vision of what holiness is like. When I was born, uh, born again, I was a student, and uh, I wasn't, my life was not very good. And there were all sorts of crooked areas in my life. I gave my life to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in 1954. Oh, I shouldn't have told you that. 1954. The remarkable thing was that overnight, it was an evening meeting, and I gave my life to Christ. I went to the front. I just simply yielded it because Billy Graham had said, if you need a new life, you need Jesus. And the moment he said that, I thought, you're dead right. I need Jesus. So I gave my life to Jesus. Overnight, it was as though I totally transformed. I'd had a wonderful bath. The most wonderful thing is, when I woke up in the morning, I had one desire in my heart. And that was to live a godly life. All sorts of other things have happened to me since then. One, all sorts of wonderful things. But that one has always stayed. It's been the salvation of my life. It's led me in righteous ways, godly ways. Brought a blessing in my life. But it was that Holy Spirit in me giving me the vision of godliness and knowing that sin was dead. It's the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. But you, you see, you have to go on living it. It's no good me saying, well, that happened in 1954, that's centuries ago. 
It's got to be here now, this morning. Now, while I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to Bob Dunnett. Because it's my calling. It's your calling. It's the calling of every Christian. Come on, the world is in a dreadful state. The nation's in a dreadful state. Is there any amount of corruption going on? You and I have got to shine like lights in the middle of it. That's our calling. Anyway, let's just come to a conclusion, really. I've gone too long. Let me have the next slide. One of the most important things in your pilgrimage to really live righteously, to fulfill the calling, is to get a vision of what I call the beauty of holiness. I said that God is a God of beauty. He's a God of beauty in nature. He's a God of beauty in you and me. Now, I don't mean by that you're good-looking. I am looking round and sort of taking... No, I don't mean that. Some of us are rather more good-looking than others, unfortunately. But that's the way it goes. But your beauty does not lie in your looks. Repeat, your beauty does not lie in your looks. Your beauty lies in your character. And that's what the beauty of holiness is. And I've just listed it out for you quickly. Let me just read them to you, right? Humility. No pride. What do you think of people that are all full of themselves? Can't do anything except talk about themselves. They're the, you know, the center and everything and everything. As contrasted with somebody who is humble. Don't blow it all, trumpet all the time. Thinks about other people rather than his own position. Isn't trying to get to the top so everybody thinks, oh, he's got to the top. He's not a celebrity. Humility. I know I'm not as good as everybody. I know other people are much better than me. I'm glad to step out of the way so somebody who's better than me can do it. Gentleness. This has been one that's, you know, stayed with me all my life. Got to be gentle. I think I used to be a bit rugged. Maybe still am. Opinionated. Tend to ride over people. Gentleness is a very beautiful thing. Well, that, that this woman caring for the old people. The, the epitome of gentleness. Gentle in touch. Gentle in talking. Gentle in handling. Gentle in, 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 in uh, uh, summing a person up. Not, not heavy, not pushing down. Just gentle. I remember my 50s and 60s, I felt, done it, that's what you need a bit more of, gentleness. You don't need to be the wooder sort of bloke. Just be gentle. Because it's such a beautiful thing. Patience. How's your patience? Impatience is not very beautiful, is it? Somebody blows his top. There's no beauty in that causes any amount of trouble. 
How do you have patience? Patience is a very beautiful thing. And the readiness to forgive. There are lots of Christians that have stumbled on this. We really do have to learn to forgive. No matter what it is. You need to learn to forgive in the family. You need to learn to forgive in the church. You need to learn to forgive wherever you are. It, it, you really have to struggle sometimes with the Lord. This sin of unforgiveness is dead. You've broken it at the cross. Lord, you have the spirit of forgiveness. After all, you gave your son to die for me. Let this spirit come into me, Lord. That's how you need to be praying. But if you're praying like that, you've got your sights on being full of forgiveness. And that's your calling. Maybe it's just that for you this morning. Just something to work at. Honesty. It's a very dishonest world in which we live. Wherever you turn, people are, you know, tempting us to be dishonest. Be dishonest. There's backhanders, all the, all the rest of it. I think this is one of the things that struck me most. The thing I must do is be absolutely honest. Even if I get embarrassed at times. You've got to be completely honest in everything you do. You, you don't work the system. You're honest. And you tell the truth. Still Christians are struggling with that one. You tell the truth. Everybody out there is cutting a tooth. You don't. You are blameless. Tell the truth. This is your calling. It's not just something written in the Ten Commandments that you might look at occasionally. This is a life calling as a Christian person saved through the blood of Jesus and receiving the spirit of holiness <clears throat> and generosity. <clears throat> we live in a world where everybody's on the make. What you can get is the number one. For a Christian, it's what you can give. And that's a big one. Maybe you not realize how big it is. How much can I give? Even though I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself. I've got a lot of ground to make on this, I feel sometimes. How generous can I be? Do I hold back or do I let things go? But if you were full of humility, full of gentleness, full of patience, full of forgiveness, full of honesty and full of generosity, you would be Beautiful. And it would show in your face. Did you know that? Humility shows in your face. Gentleness shows in your face. You talk about body language, don't you? The most important piece of your body that speaks is your face. And in your face, it's your eyes. You look into somebody's eyes and you think, oh, I'm going to be careful of that guy. And what you've done is looked in his eyes because there's something in the eyes. You can't stop it. And when a person gets unforgiveness, caught up in unforgiveness, the face goes hard. 
You can actually see it. But somebody who's gentle, it's kind of written on the face. So that the very physical body, especially your face, becomes expressive of the beauty of your character. This is what God wants of you. And the final slide. <clears throat> There's a reward to all this. <clears throat> and the reward is very simple. These three things in your life. Yes. I haven't got the text on my note here. So you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God has anointed you with the oil of joy. That's a psalm but it's quoted in Hebrews about Jesus. Jesus loved righteousness, hated wickedness, and therefore God has anointed you with the oil of joy. Do you want a joyful life? Well, it doesn't matter how much money you earn, that won't get you joy. Probably just get you a lot more trouble and worries. But if you want a joyful life, a life where the joy of the Lord bubbles up, you need to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Now this works. This works. This actually takes place. And you get peace. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other, says the psalmist. Where there's righteousness, there will be peace. Peace in your conscience, peace in your heart. I mean, you, you can fill your bank balance with a couple of million pounds, but it won't bring you peace. But you live a godly, righteous life, and you'll find that peace bubbles up, keeps you in peace. And the other thing that's so wonderful, God says, He'll protect the righteous person. God is always trying to get close to us. He's always trying to do the very best for us. He's always trying to work the very best in our lives. The one thing that stops him getting close is unrighteousness in our hearts and lives. If you're ready to put aside all your unrighteousness, everything that's evil, and go for godliness, he can get close. And when he gets close, you'll find that the protection on every step of your life. I am an old man and I've lived long enough to know that this is true. That it's the testimony of all the years. And what is it now? It's over 60 years I've been a Christian. This is true. So my plea with you this morning, gently I hope, but nonetheless firmly what I started out with from that first text. They don't need to turn it over, but I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love so that you may shine like stars in the universe. What a calling. What a calling.